Well, good morning again, everyone. <laughs> so I'd like to, sh- uh, before I get started, I'd like to, or as I get started, I'd like to share with you um, a few words from a song. It's a very familiar song that we sing often. Tell me the old, old story of things unseen above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Today we're going to talk about the old, old story and there's a, there's a later stanza in this song that says, Tell me the old, old story, for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it just like the rest. That's the story that I want to tell today. It's the story of Jesus. You know it well. But I want to do something just a little bit different in that I want to tell it through the eyes of the people around him as we go through the gospel and um, if I had kind of an overall um, arching, uh, overarching idea, it'd be the idea from First uh, John chapter one. You remember we? Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it real briefly. Um, if you want to get ahead of the game and turning, uh, turn to Luke chapter two. We'll be back there again in just a minute. Um, but the the overarching idea for today is from First John chapter one. And we just went through that book as an assembly uh, just recently. Uh, Verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen... And heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. The idea is, that John's sharing is, that word of life, the Lord Jesus, it says, He's seen with His eyes, He's looked upon, his hands have handled concerning the word of life. He has seen and talked to and touched the Lord Jesus himself, God in the flesh. It's, he's real. He's, he's the most real thing in the entire universe. God himself. And today's sermon is going to be about the very reality of Jesus. Who he is. Each facet of his existence held up like a facet on a diamond when it catches the light. I wish I had a giant diamond that I could hold up that would, uh, or, or a jewel that would just glitter. This is what we're proclaiming today, Jesus. And today I'd like to talk about seeing him, not in a familiar, oh yeah, he's right over there kind of way, but actually seeing him for who he is. And to help us do that, I'm going to use the Bible to tell his story through the eyes of the people who saw him in the flesh. It's going to be less like a sermon with one long overarching thought or, or going through one passage. We're going to go through several passages. But it's more like a series of devotionals, each from a perspective as someone looked at the Lord Jesus. So let's start at the very beginning of Jesus' life in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at the beginning of his life, not through Mary or Joseph's eyes, but the lives, uh, for the, through the eyes of the shepherds. 
And it's, I think it's been amazing um, over the last week and a half, or last week rather, how many times we've gone over the story in Luke chapter 2 as we've celebrated Christmas. Eric went through it. We went through it again at the Christmas program. Howard took us again through it this morning. And every time, it's wonderful and amazing that God would become flesh. So, um, I'm going to go through this. And, uh, pardon me, I I may choke up (laughs) at at the end of this story. So, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood out before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. I think they said it much more excitedly. (laughs) And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd seen and heard, as was told them. So I want you to use your imaginations this morning and put yourselves in the shepherd's shoes. You're doing your ordinary job. This is not, you're not in sitting in some palace. You're not uh, a very important person to society. You've got a regular job. You're a normal guy. And you're doing your job. Maybe, maybe some of these shepherds um, have been doing this all their lives, however long that was. Just like us, right? We have our professions. We do things day in, day out, every day. And these shepherds were just just like us, just going about their lives. And one night, they're tending the sheep, and maybe a couple of them are asleep, and a couple of them are awake, standing watch through the night. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the most unordinary thing ever happens. An angel appears to them. And the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what an angel looks like. I've never seen one myself. But every time an angel appears to someone in the Bible, or almost every time, they have to tell the person not to be afraid. It must be awesome and a little terrifying, obviously. But he comes with great news. It says... 
the Savior that you've been waiting for, that has been promised to Israel, has been born this night. And then right after that angel finishes speaking, there's a whole sky full of angels, all praising God. So what do the shepherds do? Well, it says right in the passage, it says they make haste for Bethlehem. I can almost imagine them falling over themselves in an effort to get down the road into Bethlehem to look for the baby. And just imagine what they felt when they saw baby Jesus for the first time. I'm pretty sure there wasn't actually a halo around him or Mary. But there must have been something, something that made it obvious that they were in the presence of God and that this baby was God in the flesh for all to see. You can't just walk into the presence of God without realizing where you are. And you would do, if you were there, if we could travel back in time, you would do exactly what the shepherds did. You fall down and worship Him. I was talking to Don about this just last week. And we were imagining what would it be like for us, knowing what we know now, to travel back in time and kneel beside the, beside the manger. And I don't have to wonder what I would do if I was there. I know exactly what I would do. I would weep. I would weep for joy at seeing God in the flesh. How amazing. I would weep for the horror of what men would do to Him 33 years later. I would weep in agony over my sin. I mean, look at Him. He's an innocent little baby. My sin. How can a sinner bear to look on that innocent child? And I would weep with wonder at the fact that with my own eyes, I could see God. Think about that. With your own eyes, looking at that baby, that's God. Amazing. Ordinary shepherds. Ordinary people. Ordinary us. God in the flesh. Amazing. Let's fast forward 30 years to John the Baptist. Now, it's not easy. Unlike the shepherds, it may may be a little easier to imagine being a shepherd. But it's not easy to imagine being John the Baptist. But if you can, try and put yourself in his shoes for a minute. John has lived his entire life with one purpose to announce the coming of the kingdom of God. And I can only imagine his excitement as he sees Jesus walking towards him. John at this point has been preaching for quite a while. And some people have received his message and some people have not. But to finally see Jesus walking towards him, And all John can think of to say is, 
and I'm sure this is put into his heart by the mouth, by the by the very uh, thought of God. He says, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Just think about that introduction for a moment. When you introduce a great person, you might, if you're introducing, like, say, a judge, you'd say the honorable, you know, so and so. Or <laughs> if Babe Ruth was still alive, you don't just say, here's Babe Ruth. You'd say, this is the great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, Babe Ruth, right? Or the president. You don't just say, oh, here's Barack. You say, here is the president of the United States. Barack Obama. But John introduces Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who John saw. He saw the man who was coming to take away the sin of the entire world. He's real. He's here. He's here to take away the sin of the entire world. Do you see it? I don't know how John knew this already. It was obviously divinely revealed to him. But in, uh, let's see, where are we? We're in uh, John chapter 1 and verse 32. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And we know from other passages that the voice of God came down from heaven when John baptized Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came down uh, looking like a dove and lighted upon Him. This isn't just a story. This is real. It really happened. And John was blown away. He says, I have seen and I bear witness to the fact that this man is the Son of God. Wouldn't that have just been awesome to be John the Baptist right there? And uh, in verse 35, it says, Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And what happened because John bore witness of Christ? The next verse, verse 37, The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And there's a whole sermon worth of thoughts just in each one of these passages as I, as I go through here. But I was struck with this thought as I was looking at John the Baptist. He takes what he knows and what he sees, what he's handled. He, handled, he held on to Jesus as he baptized him into the water and back out. He held God himself. And he heard the voice from heaven and he saw the Spirit come down. He knew exactly who Jesus was. And because he was so excited about who Jesus was, he says to his followers, he says, look, this is the Lamb of God. 
This is the Messiah. What happens? They follow Jesus as well they should. And I can't help but thinking, we might not have as much, as much physical reality as baptizing Jesus himself, but we know as individuals who the Lord Jesus is. We recognize him, right? That's why um, we're here this morning, right? We're here to give him worship. And the only way to show other people who Jesus is is to recognize who he is for yourself first. John's excited. He's excited because he knows who Jesus is. And if we live out our lives as we're called to do, striving to honor him with every word and deed, we're showing that we know who Jesus is. We're recognizing him and we're pointing him out. There he is. There's our Lord. And it says, and others will follow him. Right? That's what happened with, with, the, with John's followers. They followed Jesus. John says, don't follow me. Right? I must decrease, but he must increase. It's not about us. We're just there to point the way to Jesus. There he is. He's right here. We've seen him. John's, the question is, is John's position any more privileged than ours? I don't think so. Each one of us has a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus if we're trusting in him right now. Our position is, is no less privileged than John's. Our lives have been changed. Our old nature has been put to death. We have a, we have a new nature. We have such amazing blessings. And all of this is to glorify God and to point to him and say, Look, I know Jesus. I've seen what he can do in my life. I know that he is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Amazing. Amazing that we can see Jesus. Well, as we know, things weren't always this exciting with John the Baptist. A few chapters later, in Luke chapter 7, we find John has been thrown into prison by the people who refused to accept his message. And I think during this time in prison, John may have gotten um, maybe a little depressed. Maybe thinking, was all that stuff that I did worth it? Was all this stuff real? Did it really have an impact? I don't know what was going on in in his mind, but I imagine that it might be easy to get confused when you're in a prison cell instead of going before the Lord Jesus like he thought he, he was doing. So he finally sends some of his, his followers to go to Jesus and to ask him again who he is. And it says in verse 20 of Luke chapter 7, it says, When the men had come to him, that's Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? That very hour he cured many of infirmities, 
afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Think of that if you're one of John's disciples standing there. Jesus doesn't directly answer the question right away. He goes out and he gives blind people sight. And he raises up crippled people. And he heals the sick. And he casts out demons. And then finally in verse 22, he answers and says, Go and tell John the things you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Each one of those things is nearly impossible. Some of the things are impossible. The dead being raised, the lepers being cleansed, This proves beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus is. I've yet to see anyone else raise a dead person. But Jesus went around and he didn't just do it once. Time after time after time after time. Proof that he is God. He says, go tell John what you've seen. Go tell people what you've seen as you've encountered Jesus. And for us here today, have we seen anything less? Right even here in our midst, people addicted to drugs, saved from that. Broken families, restored. People who are walking apart from God. Enemies wanting nothing to do with the Lord Jesus. Saved. Following Him faithfully. Right here in our very midst. The fingerprints, as it were, of God on each one of our lives. God in the flesh makes a difference to us, does He not? And if, if you can't see it, if it doesn't immediately come to mind, the things that God's doing here in this very assembly, and the lives around us, go talk to somebody. Ask them, what is the Lord doing in your life? Come to the prayer meeting. You know how many praises we offer on a weekly basis for prayers answered? It's incredible. It's amazing. And those of you that are there know it. We pray and the Lord answers and hears us. These things don't just happen. Sometimes we become accustomed to them. And we need a fresh look like John and his disciples. What do you see when you look for the evidence of the Lord around you? I see the lame walking. The blind receiving sight. Amazing. Skip to uh, another story. I'm sorry, it's just one one thing right after the other. How about Zacchaeus in John chapter 19? 
starting in verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I think Zacchaeus is one of the easier people to imagine to put yourself in his shoes. Um, It says that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't for the very physical reason that he was too short to see over the crowd. And uh, sometimes in our own lives, it can become a little difficult to see the Lord. We get so um, wrapped up in the day-to-day things and the people around us. Um, Good things. But we get kind of lost in the crowd, as it were. And it becomes a real struggle to see the Lord. So Zacchaeus says, no, I'm going to do something that might be a little uncoming and I'm going to climb a tree just so I can see the Lord. It's very simple. Simple action, climbing a tree. But the Lord sees in Zacchaeus as he walks by, he sees that fervent desire to see the Lord. And God rewards those who seek him. And I, th- I think of those mornings when it just seems hard to just read, take time to read your Bible in the morning. Or um, those moments where it seems hard to just take some time to console someone, um, to ask, or to even talk to them and, and ask them how they're doing. Sometimes you just get so overwhelmed. You want to kind of close, close in your little bubble. But those are the times where we should be climbing the tree to see Jesus. Just a simple thing, but the Lord rewards it. We use so many excuses not to make the effort for God, but we know that He bountifully rewards those who put out just a little effort. It says uh, in verse 6 about Zacchaeus, He made haste and came down and received Him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, him being Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And there's a, there's a message here for unbelievers as well. If you don't believe Jesus, and you're not willing to pr- produce any effort at all to try to see God wants you to see Him. He wants you to understand who you are. That's why you were created in the first place. 
And it just takes a little effort, a little genuine effort, to say, Jesus, I want to see you. And the Lord is coming this way. He's passing nearby. And He wants you to see Him. And look at the joy that comes into Zacchaeus' heart. In verse 6, it says, So he made haste to come down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus was overjoyed that not only did he get to see the Lord, but far beyond his wildest dreams, the Lord came into his house and they had dinner together and they sat and they talked. And I think Zacchaeus' life, I know, Zacchaeus' life was completely changed. Um, we see in uh, some of the verses, I think that I uh, may have skipped over in the passage, Zacchaeus vows to return to anyone he's taken money to unrightfully. He, res- he vows to restore to them fourfold. He's a changed man. His heart is full of joy. He gets to sit and talk with the Lord Jesus. And the offer is still there. The Lord's still coming this way. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. Today, salvation can come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Another facet of the Lord Jesus. It's amazing. I'm going to have to hustle along here. (laughs) How about another story from John chapter 9? In uh, uh, Jesus is walking along the road and uh, he counters a blind man, cries out for mercy from the Lord. And the Lord takes some clay and puts, uh, puts mud on the man's eyes and says, go and wash in the pool, and you'll receive your sight. So the man, who has been blind since birth, um, goes and washes his eyes and receives his sight. And so people question him. Say, how are you healed? What happened? Because they know him. He's He's the blind beggar that sits outside the city day by day, week by week, year by year. So the blind man tells him in verse 11, he says, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Simple instructions. It wasn't complicated. But there was a miracle done that day. Jesus doesn't ask people to do complicated things. Just believe and do simple instructions that he wants them to do. And the blind man followed the simple instructions. And he says, look, everybody, you want to know how I was healed? There wasn't some complicated process. No eye surgery, nothing like that. I just did what this fellow Jesus told me to do. And that made all the difference. The credit is to him. But then, because it was a Sabbath... The Pharisees 
said that Jesus was a sinner for healing on the Sabbath. This boggles my mind. They say that Jesus was a sinner. He's not God, he's a sinner. The Pharisees are trying to strip Jesus' divinity right off of him. This man can't be God. But the formerly blind man is of a simple man. And he says, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Give the man some credit. He knew that he could see and that Jesus has done it. End of story. And then the amazing thing is is that Jesus comes back to talk to him. In verse 35 we read, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when they found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of God? The blind man answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Out of all this group, I think the blind man may be the hardest person for me to put myself in his shoes. I can't imagine not being able to see. I can't imagine the joy that must come from receiving sight. I forget from the passage how old this man was, maybe in his 30s or 40s. It's been a long time that he has not been able to see. But he follows one set of simple instructions, and because he believes in the Lord Jesus, his entire life is turned around. And then wonder of wonders, the Lord comes back to speak to him and asks him, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man says, who is he? And Jesus says, you're looking at him. A man who a few hours earlier couldn't see anything is now looking at the Son of God. And the blind man, I'm sure he fell down. Lord, I believe. He worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. We know the, the Pharisees, those who claim they could see, those who claim that they knew God, were blinded to who Jesus was. They tried to call him a sinner, tried to strip his divinity away from him. But the man who just a few hours earlier couldn't see anything, when Jesus says, you're looking at the Son of God, says, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Amazing. I've come into this world that those who do not see may see. That's Jesus. I wish I had time to talk about those who saw Jesus at his crucifixion, who were there beside the cross, who were, in the eyes of one thief, hanging next to him on the cross. What did they see? What did that thief on the cross see that he would say, this man has done no wrong, there's no fault in him? What did he see? I don't know. I wish I did. 
But if we go just a few days after Christ has died on the cross, to John chapter 20, where Mary Magdalene is outside the tomb. And I think I can sympathize with where Mary's at. Mary, as we know, um, owed a great deal to the Lord Jesus. He had completely changed her life from her life of sin and self-destruction He had completely and utterly changed her. And she had followed the Lord ever since meeting Him. But now, the Lord Jesus is dead. And so she's outside the tomb, and she's weeping. And I could put myself in her shoes, because for any of of us who have lost a loved one, you know the grief. You know what it's like to be at a funeral or sitting next to a casket or next to an open grave. And your eyes are all blurry with tears. You can't see very well. It just comes over and over again, the sadness. And that's where Mary is. And verse 11 of John chapter 20, Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary was there to pay her respects to the dead. She was there to try to bring some closure to her grief by doing one final act of worship to the Lord. And there's nothing there. And she's so blurry-eyed that she doesn't fully recognize the angels sitting there inside the tomb. The messengers of a great message who last proclaimed his birth now sitting there to proclaim Him risen. But she's grieving and she doesn't even recognize that. But when she said this in verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And in that instant, she recognized him. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher, And we know what she does next because in verse 17, Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me. She ran and probably threw herself at his feet and and hugged him. She clung to him. Can you imagine? I, I think words just utterly fail to describe this woman who is utterly beside herself with grief. 
suddenly hearing Jesus just say her name, Mary. She runs and throws herself around him. Complete and utter joy. I would have loved to have been there. Just picture it in your mind's eye. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and had spoken these, and that he had spoken these things to her. If this morning you're catching a glimpse of Jesus, of our risen Savior, God in the flesh, you get to do exactly the same thing that Mary Magdalene did. She went and told others, I've seen the Lord. I've seen Him. My sorrow and mourning have been turned into utter joy. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. I can only imagine how excited Mary must have been. I have seen the Lord. I'm sure she went running to where the disciples were. She's seen the Lord. And good old Thomas. And uh, later in that same chapter... Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Um, in the part of the chapter that we skipped, the Lord Jesus appears to his disciples. And they see him face to face. But Thomas wasn't there. In verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails... And put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. I think Thomas thought that the disciples were beside themselves. They must have been so excited. And, and poor Thomas just thought they were beside themselves. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said, answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. You see, I think when Thomas saw the Lord Jesus, actually touching him became irrelevant. Because Jesus wasn't even there when Thomas says, I won't believe until I touch him and put my hand in the wounds. But Jesus speaks directly to his heart and says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas recognizes the man he has spent years with following. This is him. It's unmistakable. It's undeniable. This is Jesus. He is risen. There's no doubt at all that the Lord is standing here. And too often as a believer, I forget the glory of the resurrection of the Lord. The fact that the Lord Jesus was crucified, as we know, for our sins, 
He bore them on Himself. He died and was buried. And three days later, He conquered death and the grave and rose just like He promised. And He appeared. And that's the comfort of those grieving. It is the answer for those who will not believe. The Lord Jesus is risen. If you're a believer this morning in sorrow over one thing or another, things that are rightful to be sorrowful over, Mary had every reason to be sorrowful. But when she saw the Lord Jesus, saw that there was resurrection from the dead, she was joyful. And as we we studied in the the past couple weeks in uh, in First Thessalonians, we know that for us too, resurrection is coming for those who have fallen uh, asleep in the Lord. For those who have died, the resurrection is coming, and there will be a shout, the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The resurrection's coming. It's going to be a joyous time. And Jesus, it says, He's the first fruits of that resurrection. He's the first one. He's leading the charge. And it's His life, His resurrection that gives us hope. And it says, those of us who are alive and remain will be got up together to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. That's the comfort. Death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? There's, no, there's nothing there. Death has nothing that can bring against us. For to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And I, you, under, you begin to understand Mary's joy had seen her friend, the Lord Jesus, raised from the dead. And we, just like Mary, will rush to Him when that trumpet sounds. Dead or alive, it doesn't matter. We're going. How great will be that joy. But for those who don't believe, Thomas, Thomas was there saying, I need to see Him. I need to touch with my hands, see with my eyes that the Lord indeed is risen. Answered. Done. Jesus came in and said, Here I am, Thomas. Test me and see. And Thomas did the only thing that anyone could do when presented with that much evidence. He said, My Lord and my God. I know who, Thomas says, I know who you are. I'm convinced of it beyond any shadow of a doubt. And the disciples lived out their lives in such passion and conviction. Right? And John, writing much later in his life, writes in 1 John 1, which we read once already, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hands of handle concerning the, the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life. That's our mission. 
we here who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have seen and looked upon and handled. Our lives are changed. We have the Lord Jesus. We have His Word. We have everything that we need to proclaim the Lord Jesus. We have every reason to find joy in Him and knowing who He is. Each one of these stories that I've read today shows a character, shows the character of the Lord Jesus, His compassion, His graciousness, His um, power over sin, over sickness, over death itself. All of these things we know. And like the Lord said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. We are here this morning, a blessed people, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ until He comes. Because we can see Him. And I hope the the scriptures that we've gone over today help you to once again renew that old, old story that old, old story of Jesus and His love. Shall we close in prayer? Lord Jesus, as the people who journeyed uh, a long way said, we would see You. We would see Jesus. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for all the things that You've done in our life. We don't want to forget to give You thanks for our salvation, for the changes in our lives, for the hope and future that You give to us for the comfort in times of sorrow, for the joy, Lord, in knowing You are who You are. You do not change. Knowing that You really came, You really walked among us, You really died, You really rose again. This isn't some story in a book and we just keep the book around because we like it a lot. This is the defining point of our lives, that we know You as the defining point in Thomas's life was when he saw you, as the blind man when he saw you, Mary Magdalene when he saw you, Lord, when we see you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us even now. We thank you, Lord, for opening your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.